Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Faces of TBI podcast series. My name is Amy Zelmer, and I'm the founder of Faces of TBI and the host for today's podcast. The goal of this podcast series is to bring awareness to traumatic brain injury, and it is created by survivors for survivors. Each week, you're going to hear from other survivors or caregivers or medical professionals or just other individuals um, that are interested in CBI awareness in an effort to raise more awareness around this invisible injury and also as a way to just help unite and educate fellow survivors. Those of you who might not be familiar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice two years ago. Um, I slipped and fell and landed full impact on the back of my head. And I am currently a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post. I write mostly about TBI awareness, so be sure to check me out on the Huffington Post. And I also volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. And I created facesoftbi.com, and this is a place where you can follow my blog to read more about me and my journey, as well as a place to learn more about upcoming podcasts, and you can also check out my recently released book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Amy Zellmer. And during today's live show, if you have any questions, you can tweet those questions to at Amy Zellmer. And now for today's guest, I have uh, Sandeep Vishnavi, and he is the director at the Neuropsychiatric Clinic at Carolina Partners. And he is in the Neuropsychiatric Unit at Preston Robert Titch Brain Tumor Center at Duke Medicine, and also a clinical associate, Department of Psychiatry, Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Duke Medicine. And he recently released a book as well called The Traumatized Brain, which I had the pleasure of reviewing, um, and I have a little blurb on the back cover. So that's kind of fun to see that there. So welcome to the show, Sandeep. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, Sandeep, how did you get involved in traumatic brain injury? What's your story um, to how you got to where you're at dealing with all of us TBI survivors? Well, I've always been interested in neuropsychiatry, that is brain and behavior relationships. And TBI, of course, is a huge public health concern. So I got involved in uh, in TBI work uh, basically because it, it's a good model to understand how the brain creates behavior and the relationship between the two, and because it's so pressing. It's, there's such a need for people to understand it better. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, you know, in my experience alone, and I hear this from a lot of other survivors, you know, we're we're often sent home and told, oh, you're fine, you just have a concussion. And, you know, weeks go by, months go by, years go by, and we're still struggling um, with the symptoms from our head injury. And, you know, I feel like it's such an unknown, you know, like doctors can't look inside our brains and figure out what's happening. So it's so invisible and it's just so misunderstood 
And I'm really glad to see people like you who are really digging deeper into it and saying, hey, there's a lot more to understand here. So I appreciate all that you're doing um, and for helping to bring that awareness within the medical community. Thank you. Yeah, I will add that uh, it is really a silent issue, a silent epidemic, as as you mentioned. Uh, it's invisible and uh, because we are mm-hmm. very visual creatures. I mean, humans as a whole, we're very visual. And if we can't see evidence of the problem, we assume it's not there. So if someone has a broken leg or a broken arm, we see that, and it's obvious. So this person has been injured. But if there's uh, a brain injury, a broken brain, as it were, it's inside the head. You can't see it. You're not aware of it. And the other part of it is that many of these symptoms that are silent but are really an important part of brain injury are the mood and behavioral and cognitive symptoms, what I call the neuropsychiatric symptoms of brain injury. And those are even harder to correlate uh, for people with the brain injury. And I think that's really important for people to understand that you know these events, these symptoms that occur are correlated with the brain injury. And there's really a pretty clear connection to different circuits in the brain that are damaged and the symptoms that occur. Mm-hmm. You know, what I appreciate it so much about your book um, that you co-authored, you really explain it in basic terminology because, you know, it really could have turned into a much more complex book, but you really use basic, basic words, basic terms to really explain traumatic brain injury and the symptoms and the recovery. And I just really appreciate it that you guys were able to put it into such simplistic terms for someone going through this or their family members to read it and be able to really understand it. Right. And that was our that was our mission. I mean we we know that there are books that are written of course by survivors and, and that's very important like like your book. And there are uh books written by doctors for doctors, but we didn't find that there was much out there that was written by doctors, specialists in traumatic brain injury for the general public and that was that's the reason that we wrote this book. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that you did. It, it's a really great book. Um, and in your book, you talk a little bit how TBI symptoms masquerade as other ailments, um, which can potentially delay treatment. Um, could you elaborate a little bit on that for our listeners? Sure. So one example would be depression, uh, major depression or clinical mm-hmm. depression where people have a lack of enjoyment, where they're feeling sad, and it's a pervasive thing. It's not just having a down day or something like that. It's something that's that's persistent for days or weeks. Those kinds of symptoms can occur due to numerous things. I mean, certainly there are genetic aspects to it, and people can get depression due to all kinds of different causes. But it turns out that after traumatic brain injury, this is actually one of the more common symptoms uh, about 40%, depending on the study you look, la- look at, uh, may develop significant depressive symptoms after traumatic brain injury. And so this is something, if you don't correlate with the brain injury directly, uh, people may, may assume that, well, you know, this is a natural consequence. Of course, I'm feeling down. Uh, I've had this injury, and it's really turned my life upside down. And that's true. There is that aspect to it. But it could also very well be due to damage to certain circuits in the brain to help control our mood. So there is that piece to it. And if that is not recognized, then treatment could be delayed. 
So that's one example. Mm-hmm. And, and there are many others. I mean, people can develop cognitive symptoms, which not uncommonly, such as attention and memory problems. I see that all the time in clinic after brain injury. But uh, it's, it's surprising. A lot of people may uh, not direct, may not correlate that you know this is this is really because of the brain injury directly. They may say they may think that well you know this is something which is not maybe directly related. Something else is going on, or they may correlate it, but uh, unfortunately there's not um, a lot of education sometimes even within medicine about the long-lasting nature nature of some of these symptoms. And uh, so oftentimes people are told, well, you know, we treated the acute part of the injury, you should be fine now. But that's really not the case necessarily. So it's important to recognize the cognitive symptoms and behavioral symptoms and mood symptoms as being related to the brain injury so that they can be aggressively treated. And this is important, by the way, because I think it's it's really critical, in fact, because these are things, if you treat, they can help with resilience. They can help with recovery from the brain injury. If they're not treated, if they're let go or you know people don't understand them, well, they can linger on and that can affect how your brain recovers. Mm-hmm. You know, for me personally, um, since the moment I fell, I knew something wasn't okay with my vision. And, you know, doc, I would go to the neurologist, the neuro-ophthalmologist, my regular doctor, and everybody was like, well, are you seeing double? No, I don't see two of everything. Okay, well, you know, let's just see how it how it goes. And here I am almost two years out, and I finally got referred to a vision therapy clinic. And it turns out my my eyes are not working together. Like the brain isn't interpreting both my eyes equally, um, which has just been causing me tons of depth perception and just neuro fatigue because my eyes aren't working correctly. Um, And it's really frustrating because, you know, had we found this, you know, 18 months, a year ago, um, I'd already be further in my recovery by now. So, you know, really finding those things and, and, and finding therapies and working on them sooner than later, I think, you know, is so helpful. Um, you know, cause I kind of went into that circle of depression, you know, gosh, I'm not getting any better. What is wrong with me? You know? And so you kind of get into that, that cycle of depression and I think if right. you can start showing some signs of improvement, it it really can help your your attitude. Right. Hope is hope is critical, of course. And you know, if if things yeah. are not going well, if things aren't getting better, and everyone is telling you that you should be getting better, uh, you can doubt yourself. You can wonder what's what's really going yeah. on. Am I ever actually going to get better? Um, and and those are things that, of course, are not they're not helpful in the long run either, uh, in terms of brain recovery. So I agree. It's 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 really important to be able to uh, go to the right specialist and sort of it's hard to you know the medical system is is very complicated of course and it's not easy to do this but um, I will say that neuropsychiatrists uh, in particular are um, oftentimes specialists in brain injury and it may be important to ask your doctor uh, even early on well can I see a neuropsychiatrist can I see someone who would help uh, with mood and behavior and cognitive symptoms. In your case, you also mentioned more of the um, the eye problems and, of course, going to a therapist who specializes in that. But to be an advocate for yourself, I think, is actually really important because people are very different. They react very differently to brain injury. The types of brain injury vary. 
the severity of the brain injuries vary even within what may be called a mild traumatic brain injury. So everything right. can be quite variable. And, um, you know, we don't fully understand why it is that some people recover very quickly and others don't recover so well. And, uh, in fact, there are uh, some biomarkers or lab markers that are in development right now, which may help us in the future kind of classify patients that, well, you know, this with, if you have a certain biomarker signature, then you're probably going to recover quickly. If you have another biomarker signature, maybe it's not going to be so quick and you should be referred out to specialists early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you really touched on the fact that, you know, no two brain injuries are the same, and mm-hmm. therefore no two recoveries are the same. And I think that's what makes it all the more complicated for doctors as well, you know, like, right. well, this person had the exact same accident. Why are they recovered right. and this one's not? So I can see where that adds um, to the confusion and the mystery behind traumatic brain injury. Um, so can you talk a little bit, too, about how repeated brain injuries or concussions um, can add up to larger problems down the road? Yes, I think we're becoming more and more appreciative of this, that brain injuries can accumulate potentially. Um, certainly if you have moderate to severe brain injuries and you have multiple of those, then I think there is fairly good evidence that there can be long-term consequences, uh, which could involve memory issues and other such problems. But even with mild traumatic brain injury or concussions, if there are repetitive injuries, if they occur over time again and again, then there is a possibility, at least in some people, that they develop uh, what's called chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE. And this is basically a pathological or neuropathology diagnosis. Uh, essentially, brains have been cut up and uh, after people have passed on, and uh, there are changes in the brain that uh, can look uh, in some ways like Alzheimer's disease, though it's not Alzheimer's disease, but can have some similarities. And people can who develop this uh, CTE have memory problems and behavioral changes, uh, significant depression, suicidality even, all kinds of things that may occur. And uh, this is actually a pretty hot topic right now. Um, the movie Concussion with Will Smith was recently released, and the movie is actually about exactly this. It's about the neuropathologist who first uh, came up with this notion or who advocated for this notion of chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And um, and essentially, this was with professional football players with the NFL. So this is a it's a you know we don't know if this will apply to people in the general public who are not professional football players, but uh, it may. Um, it, it certainly makes intuitive sense to me that if you have repeated head injuries, even if they're mild, it's not a good thing for the brain. Uh, the question is, is there a tipping point where it becomes? such that it's hard to recover from that, and we don't know that. And that may be very individual, and that's another reason why I think it's so important to have biomarkers and other objective measures to really help us understand how the recovery is going and what we should do to intervene to make the recovery better, faster. Mm-hmm. Right, and, you know, I saw the movie Concussion, and it was just such an amazing perspective on how all of these professional football players, you know, they were committing suicide because they could no longer deal with the symptoms that they were having. They they were literally kind of going insane and crazy. And their CT scans and their MRIs were coming back clean, you know, showing that they didn't have any damage. And it wasn't until he 
dissected the brain that he found the CTE. Um, and again, it just shows how incredibly invisible and mystical um, traumatic brain injury really is. Yeah, exactly. And and this is a really critical point about the CT and the MRIs. Uh, so, you know, again, we have this uh, feeling as, as people that if we see it, we believe it. And it's, we have this notion, I think, that, well, if it's on the CT scan or if it's on the MRI, there's a real injury there. But if it's not visible on those scans, it's somehow not real. And unfortunately, right. that can you know that can happen uh, both from a physician as well as a patient point of view, sort of dismissing the symptoms and saying, well, this is this is not real. There's got to be some other explanation. It's not related to the brain injury. But we have to keep in mind that this is the technology is good. I mean, CTs and MRIs are great, and they help so many people. But there are limits to that technology. I mean, it's not all knowing and all seeing. And there are newer types of technologies uh, that are in development, uh, such as diffusion tensor imaging, or DTI, which is another variant of MRIs, or type of MRI, that may actually show more damage uh, in terms of a brain injury than the current technology. So those are things, those types of things are in development, and hopefully in the future, we would be able to see these kinds of um, things on scans. We can actually see them uh, visually, and that would, of course, help a lot. Um, there are functional neuroimaging scans that are available, like SPECT scans, and they look at blood flow. And we can find more with those kinds of scans than we do with CT or MRIs, which are not scans that show blood flow. Actually, just they're slices of the brain, essentially taking pictures of the brain. But blood flow may be abnormal, and you don't see that on the CT or MRI. So my point here, though, is that just that there are, there is a limit to the technology that we typically use, and it may not see uh, a lot of um, lot of TBIs. In fact, especially if they're on the on the mild end. So, you know, addressing a survivor who has had a traumatic brain injury, um, what can you do as a survivor to kind of modify your lifestyle during this recovery period? Um, to avoid things that trigger your symptoms, whether it's depression or vertigo or depth perception, um, how can you kind of readjust your life? Right. Well, I think it's really important to um, have some knowledge about the brain injury itself. I think that's really critical because the more you know about brain injury, the I think the better you're going to have a better chance of, of dealing with it. So, an example would be if if you're not very cognizant about brain injury symptoms, you have a brain injury, and then you want to go right back and do what you were doing before, well, that's setting you up for frustration potentially because the brain is really the root of everything that we do, uh, essentially. Our whole worldview, who we are as people, how we think, how we remember, how we act, how we behave, all of those things are in the brain. And so if the brain itself is injured, then all of those things, can change and it's it's really uh, can be a radical change in terms of how you do and how you feel about yourself. So it's important to understand all of this uh, to some degree so that you do give yourself some leeway. You don't blame yourself for what your behavior is or your symptoms are or your mood is. And um so anyway, so that's a big big piece of it, I think. Number 1. Number 2 is once you do understand all of that, you know, it's important to rest your brain as much as possible. Of course, you can't entirely rest your brain, but you, a brain injury is actually metabolically very active. In other words, you use up a lot of energy, 
in recovering from a brain injury. And so it's really important to take it easy, to take rest if possible. And rest means not just physical rest, but also mental rest. I mean, if you're uh, exposing yourself to um, using your smartphone all the time or your tablet all the time, you are you're also, um, you know, causing some increase in metabolism in your brain. I mean, that, that, that takes energy, that takes effort. So at least initially, I think it's important to rest, number two. Number three is, uh, as we mentioned earlier, to be aggressive about the symptoms that do develop, be it depression or be it cognitive problems or whatever it may be, to go ahead and treat them so that you will uh, be able to recover more quickly. And the other thing that I advocate for my patients is that, Two more things. One is that it's really important to try to have an ally in terms of family and friends. That can be very critical in navigating the healthcare system, but also in terms of just having the support that there is someone in your corner, there's someone out there trying to help you. That actually is good for your brain as well. And then finally, I think taking care of yourself, stress management is important as well. So that could be via exercise if, if you're at a point where you can do that, or it can be with things like meditation and perhaps yoga. Those kinds of things, I think, are very helpful to kind of get you a sense of control, a sense of ownership again, that you can get through this, that this is a phase, this is not the end. Um, all of these things are, I think, very important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, neurofatigue is unlike anything else I've ever experienced, um, you know, especially right. in the beginning like you said, you know, you think you can go back into doing what you normally do. And I know for me, like the first two weeks after my accident, I was so loopy, for lack of a better word, um, that I didn't realize how injured I really was. And so I would, I try to do this and that. And, and, you know, like, I knew I was supposed to take more breaks, and I was supposed to limit my um, computer time and my TV time. And, but man, you know, every little thing you do, you're using your brain. And the brain, when it's trying to heal, it doesn't have all that extra energy because it's trying to use its energy to heal itself. So it, it's just amazing to me, the neuro fatigue. Um, and even now, two years later, if I overdo things mentally, like if I'm mm-hmm. um, at a conference, the first time I went to a conference, I was just like wiped out for three days afterwards. So that neuro fatigue is just incredible. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, and uh, it, it is something that is well known with brain injury um, by by people in the field. But I think it's important that we, as um, as physicians and specialists in the field, convey that to the patient that you know this is not unusual. That this is something that does happen or can happen a lot. In brain injury, and there is a good reason for it, as we talked about the increase in metabolism after brain injury, as the brain is trying to recover. And it, the brain, by the way, takes up a very large portion of your whole body's energy. And so you can imagine, if on top of that you have to uh, use even more energy with brain recovery, you're going to be very tired. You're going to be very fatigued, and uh, that's a signal, actually, in a way that you do need to take it. Mm-hmm. Easy, and you do need to try to, uh, you know, you can't be the same person that you were immediately after the brain injury. Right. And so how would you offer, what can family members, friends and family, what can they do to help support someone who's just gone through a brain injury? 
So I think the key thing is is to understand what their loved one is going through. Again, I think education is really important, and again, that's one of the reasons for the traumatized brain. This book is to is to get people to understand what brain injury really is, and and be able to appreciate that there are all of these symptoms. They're so varied, and they don't always necessarily seem to be directly correlated to the brain injury, like the fatigue that we're talking about, um, mood and behavior and cognitive symptoms. All of these things. And so family and friends, uh, if they educate themselves about this, they will then understand why their loved one is acting in a certain way. Um, I think that if you don't understand that, if the family doesn't understand that, then uh, oftentimes uh, people may not have the empathy and the sympathy that would be uh, necessary, that would be great to have for, for your loved one, because you don't understand it. So, for example... If because of the brain injury, uh, your loved one is uh, now very more, very much more irritable than before. Well, you know, if you don't understand that this is correlated to the brain injury, you could take it personally. And if you take it personally, then you're mm-hmm. not going to be there uh, for your loved one, and that can impact recovery. So, I think it's important that that the family really understand this. Number one. Number two is that. Um, it's important not to attend to behaviors that you want to um, eliminate. In other words, depending on uh, with more severe brain injuries, sometimes people can become agitated or more irritable, as I mentioned, and things like that. And um, but if you're if the family member is really arguing and going back and forth with the person with a brain injury, that's actually counterproductive. So I think it's important to to be there and to have some boundaries, but not engaged necessarily in arguments because that's not going to help. So these are the kinds of things, and again, in the book we go through this in in great detail, but these sorts of things are really important uh, for loved ones, and ultimately it's really to be there for your your loved one, for for you to be there uh, as a family member or a friend for the person with brain injury and help them get through this process and understand what's going on and uh, and advocate for them uh, with physicians. And I think I would add to that um, to understand that this isn't something that's going to heal overnight. It's going to take months, right. possibly even years, to fully, right. you know, to fully kind of get back to normal. And I think that's exactly. often overlooked by friends and family members. You know, they're like, "Gosh, aren't you better yet? It's been like eight right. months." <laughs> right. Right. So. Yeah, no, that's true. I think, uh, again, that's part of that education uh, piece is to understand, you know, this is a very complicated organ, the brain, uh, the most complicated organ, I would say, and maybe the most complicated thing in the universe even. I mean, there are 10 to the power of 11 neurons in your brain and so many more, an order of magnitude greater number of connections in your brain. It's extremely complicated, huge amount of, uh, of information is transmitted in your brain and manipulated in your brain. And we're, we don't fully understand the brain by any means. I think we know a lot more now than we did, and I'm glad that we're at a mm-hmm. point where we're taking brain injury more seriously. There was a time when people would say, oh, I just got my bell rung or I got knocked around and, as if it were <laughs> yep. no big deal, right? So it's great that now we're at a point where we we understand how much we don't understand. Uh, and I think that's real progress. Uh, it's important to to know what you don't know. And I think we're at that point. So the point is that, you know, it's a very complicated system and people recover differently. Uh, The injuries vary and every injury is different. And so every recovery is different, as you mentioned earlier. So we have to, you have to take people where they are and meet them where they are. Yeah. Well, Sandeep, we are just about out of time. And this has just been a 
fantastic conversation. I wish we had another half hour to go, but we don't. Um, But I definitely recommend anyone listening, go to Amazon, grab the book. It's called The Traumatized Brain. Um, It's just, it's a great book, especially for the family um, and caregivers, because it really gives you a lot of detail of what to expect. Um, And also for the survivor to read as well, to know potentially what you could be up against. So thank you again for being here, Sandeep. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And again, be sure to um, head to Amazon and find his book, The Traumatized Brain. And I'll also post a a link to that as well um, with this podcast on on my website. So thank you all so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the show. Um, Be sure to head over to facesoftbi.com, and you can listen to any of the previous podcasts that we've had on, and you can also see any upcoming ones that we have scheduled. And you can also sign up for my newsletter while you're over there. Um, I do send out a newsletter just keeping you guys updated, and I also send out my most recent Huffington Post pieces. So Be sure to head on over there. And again, thank you for listening and thank you for being a part of my journey. I appreciate you all being here and I will see you all again next time. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.